This is Web3 Breakdowns. Web3 Breakdowns is a series of conversations exploring innovation in the decentralized internet. Each episode, we will focus on a different topic. We will cover NFT projects, crypto assets, blockchain-based protocols, and businesses being built with Web3 architecture. We will talk to founders, artists, investors, and influencers to understand this emerging ecosystem. Come join us down the rabbit hole. To find more episodes, transcripts, and a library of content to continue your learning, visit joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Eric Golden, and my guest today is serial entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk, better known as Gary V. This conversation covers why Gary has so much conviction in blockchain technology, why he sees established companies willing to embrace NFTs, and his vision for how this new medium allows him to build and distribute value today and far into the future. Please enjoy my conversation with Gary V. So for entrepreneurs, timing can be everything. You've had a famous and public track record of being early to mega trends, the internet, social media, now NFTs. If the internet was a video game, we think about innovations as new levels. You seem to get there faster and master them before other people even think they're relevant. So why are NFTs the next level in this game and what makes them so powerful? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. There's so much. The internet is clearly one of the singular inventions of the human race, like printing press, television, airplanes. It's just a singular technology transformation. And I think the blockchain is going to follow that route. I really do. The consumer blockchain because what the internet did was it changed every aspect of everything. And I think every business, government, organization, entity, maybe even long-term human is going to have an NFT integrated into their day-to-day, no different than a website or a social media profile. These have been very big adoption curves at scale. The fact that we can have digital confirmation on a ledger that is not controlled by anybody is a profound thought. And it leads to me not having any concern that anybody who's coming to VCon doesn't actually have a ticket. But that has been solved with a piece of paper or a QR code. What's different is I can add value to that VCon ticket in 17 years, but the Super Bowl can't to Super Bowl three's ticket. They have no idea who has it or where it is. When you start understanding what that means, it actually profoundly changes so many things. And the consumer and human behavior that goes along with that changes. Our language has changed because of the internet, because people short text things. And all of a sudden, we've got into emoji communications or acronyms. It's a level up because it's built on top of the things that came before it. If consumer blockchain came first, with no internet and no social media, it would be a totally different process. The promotion cycle wouldn't have not been as fast. It would have been cool. It would have been like, okay, what the fuck? But the long-winded answer was the first one I gave you. The actual punchline short answer is because the other two things now exist at scale. So building this third one on top of it magnifies the fuck out of it. 
It's a really good point about what you could do in 17 years. You know, I've heard you say that people are fixated on the next 33 days and you're fixated on 2023. Sometimes it feels like people are just fixated on the next 33 seconds. I'd be curious for you to talk about your high conviction in the space and your willingness to think long-term and how that's helped and hurt you as you've shaped your entry in the space. Well, it's helped me because in 2047, we'll clip this together and we'll have a conversation and it would have worked. It hurts because people don't hear what they don't want to hear. People don't want to hear what they don't want to hear. 99% of these projects are going to zero. Nobody wants to hear that. You say it every day, it feels like. Don't invest with money that you can't afford to lose. I mean, if every person actually invested with money that they could afford to lose, the energy would be far more positive in every discord. It's hurt from the standpoint of when the shit really hits the fan, the whole space bubbles, forget about individual projects, when VFriends and Bored Apes are five Ethereum, not 100 if and when that happens, because there's so much short-term greed behavior, it drags everything down, no different than what we saw with internet stocks in 98. I'm anticipating people being like, see, Gary, it was a fad. You were wrong. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not wrong. Individual internet stocks were wrong. The internet wasn't wrong. Individual NFT projects are going to be wrong at scale. NFTs are not wrong. And the question will become, who's Jeff Bezos who's sitting on Amazon in 2000 at six bucks a share and has the capacity over the next 15 years to build something meaningful. We're about to find out. I'm curious, you have this persona, you're in the media a lot. I wanted to ask you a question about specific advice versus general. People always ask, oh, how do I do this, Gary? How do I make money? I think you do a good job telling people research. And when you give specific advice, I've seen this in investment, someone says, tell me a stock. If you tell them to buy something, then you get accused of pumping their bags. You didn't tell people when to sell. And so what this pushes people is to give generic platitudes, even when they don't want to. I love Warren Buffett. But when he was younger, he would tell people what he was doing. He was hustling. Now he tells people how to like live life. I'd be curious how you experience that when you try to communicate with your community. And the second follow-up is, what does a crypto wallet do to change that type of thing that we've never been able to experience before? First, I think that anybody that puts themselves out there Nobody told you to buy it or nobody tells me to go on CNBC or this podcast. Nobody's forcing me to do this show right now. I'm very big on being accountable to your own actions. And so you have to lie in the bed that you've created. I'm incredibly comfortable when somebody was like, well, Gary, you just talk in general terms. You've got to create it in a way that might translate for someone to understand it at scale. Then when you go narrow, they're like, your garage sale stuff is so stupid. I'm like, you told me to go narrow and people tell me they only have 500 bucks and I'm trying to show them what I did when I, like, this is what you do. One thing I love about why I went so headfirst into NFT land, somebody a couple of days ago on Twitter is like, you pump and dump. I'm like, good news. Here in my tool, show me the dump. Show me. Yes, of course I pump. First of all, the terminology in this space is very challenging because people have taken historically bad words and have decided to use them as slang for general terms. When I first got in, I was like, I don't want to pump. I don't want to shill. We probably all call ourselves DGENs, a badge of honor. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, this isn't great. Those are tough terms to get associated into. I've always been enthusiastic about what I buy. I think the public wallet's going to save people like me. It's huge. It's huge. I'm so happy. I just went through it with sports cards. I haven't sold any of my sports cards. People just make it up fucking stories. And you're like, fuck, this is my reputation. This sucks. What are you going to do about it? 
so hard to document not selling something. I guess if you take a photo of it, but they're going to be like, you just, it's like, it's like fucking impossible. So you just kind of get used to it. But I do really like the public wall. Like everything I've bought, everything, I believe in. So I fucking bought it. I love when you've worked your face off and worked really hard to earn your money and then people think it doesn't matter to you. I've bled for mine. I'm not in the business of trying to lose it for kicks and giggles. I'm not a spoiled fourth generation trust fund baby who doesn't know what it took. I bled for mine. I don't want to buy a fucking NFT for $4,000 and have it go to zero. Everything I've bought, I believe in. Just following up on that, people always ask me how to get into the space. You talk about a lot of work. And I think with your personality being all in, is this a space that you can be in without being all in just because of how fast and aggressive it's developing? Of course you can. I actually think it's the best part. You can't be if you're a day trader like 99% of the people in the space right now. You can't be in it if you plan on day trading. And let there be no confusion. This entire space is day trading right now. So of course not because everything changes by the second. But if you believe in world of women, you can buy four of them, put it on a fucking ledger and go to sleep. I have no idea the floor price of anything I bought. None. Do not know. Don't know the doodles floor price. Don't know the board eight. I know it, it hits my radar, but like, it's just not why I bought them. What's different here is people can look at your wallet and see you're not doing a pump and up. They can track it. They can see, look, Gary bought it. He said he bought it. He hasn't sold anything. Look, it's all right here in the public view. If I was pumping and dumping, I'd be dead 40 years ago. People are waiting every second to destroy. And by the way, I'm allowed to sell too if I want to. I wish people understood how big my business life is and who I was as a human being. The thought to buy something for a day or two or a week or even a month, just to buy it, let it go up and then sell it and make profit and let the whole world see it, that would be catastrophic to me. I actually don't think people understand that VaynerX is a 1,500-person company. I was reading, you've done three spots in the Super Bowl this year, eight in the past four years. So I'd be super curious. You get to work with the largest and most powerful brands. How are they interacting with your real business? And what are they saying? Where is their space at? Where are we in that kind of cycle? They're NFT curious. We've already got Pepsi, Budweiser, the bear paint doodles thing. Like We're doing a lot of progressive stuff. Avery and Alan and the rest of the team over at Banner NFT is doing a great job. They're NFT curious. Yeah, I mean, we are pounding the conversation. We want them to understand, but we're also being very aggressive in making sure they understand what they're getting themselves into. Like high risk, very early consumer behavior and they're risk adverse. So I'm surprised and proud for both our clients and ourselves of how much we've been able to get done this year. Are you surprised with the adoption cycle there? Or is this what you saw with when they were introduced to social media? They've been faster to consider an NFT project than they were to get a Twitter account. And that's why I think it's catching me off guard in a good way. Because I view doing an NFT project having a lot more hair on it. But that was so scary to them. Customers can talk. That was like catastrophic for brands. This one wait, I can make money selling something digital. So I actually understand why they've been faster, but there is a lot more hair on it. Yeah. Do you think they understand the longevity or the perpetuity of their actions and decisions? No, because they don't care because it's not their company. The thing that's always been weird with me in Madison Avenue is there's no family businesses. You work at Pepsi today, you're going to work at Kraft Heinz tomorrow. People are at their places for two to five years. So they don't make decisions in long term. Agencies are all owned by publicly traded companies, Publicis, Omnicom, WPP. It's been a 
field day for me in Madison Avenue because mine's a family business. I care about my people and VaynerMedia and perpetuity. This is what's going to happen to me in this space. You know why I'm going to dominate this space? It's because I'm playing until I die. And most people are playing to cash out and buy a mansion. How can you lose when you're competing against that? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about the public companies being less risk averse. The person launched the NFT project said, hey, let's go do an NFT. And it doesn't matter as much as it does to someone like you. They're more risk averse and they're less risk averse. They're more risk averse because they can get fired from a headline. They're less because they don't actually give a shit about the company, even the most noble of them. And I don't say that as a razz. How can you possibly love Ford or Toyota or Tesla if you work there? You just can't, nor should the companies expect that. And that's not a dig. People have pride. They do the right thing. They're honorable. But in your back of your brain subconscious, we all love children. You don't hate a five-year-old, but do you love them as much as your child? Never. That's kind of the human behavior there. I want to switch a little bit to Gary Vee and Gary Vaynerchuk. Everyone I asked about you said you're the same in real life as you are in person. You're super nice, super high energy, extremely curious. It's the person you want at every dinner. That's what people said about you. I'm curious how you think about separating your public and private life. And maybe another way to ask that was as someone who was never public and just started doing this, how do you think about that balance or that split between who I am and shielding some part of yourself back? I think about it a lot. I'm very happy to hear that, first of all. I'm still taking that in. As I get more known... You get more of both. You get more admiration. You get more razzing. Boy, did that mean a lot to me because I really love the fact that anybody who's actually met me for real, for real, has such a different perception if you've met me once versus twice. So that's like something I'm very proud of. The people that know me the best like me the most and vice versa, kind of, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest because I didn't know you as much. The whole space influencer... I had a negative perception. I didn't take you as serious. And then I started to dive in and really do a lot of research. I was like, I completely misread this guy. I understood more about it, especially as I talked to people who actually knew you. I'm easy to misread. I have to own that. I have such a bombastic energy that I'm empathetic to that air. I actually think it's why it's easy for me to be okay. Because I'm like, how can I blame something? Like all the bad guys and gals that are like that, look like this too. I kind of get it. It sucks, to be frank, because I have a lot of pride in how I operate. I'm a real guy. Like I'm incredibly underrated because of my over bombastic style for my steak. I've got plenty of hype for my sizzle. I get that. So I think I keep my life private. One thing I tell everybody is you go more public if that's what one decides. You're in full control. I don't share pictures of my kids. I don't talk about my personal life. Other than when you have a three-hour dinner, your humanity comes across in a different way than when you're trying to educate and entertain in a 30-minute podcast. I think I had never said this. It just hit me as I said it. I think I have a propensity to want to entertain as well, which I think gets me into that Macho Man Randy Savage, Eddie Murphy part that maybe gets me into a little bit of misjudgment. And I have to be okay with that because I think the pros outweigh the cons. There's a lot of people that are captivated by that communication style. And then slowly but surely, I can really impose the things I'm passionate about, which is I'm addicted to good human behavior. Empathy Elephant and Patient Panda and Accountable Ant are here for a reason. That's probably the most exciting part. Building out the intellectual property over the next 40 years, I really think I'm 
up for the Vince McMahon Walt Disney challenge. And I'm, I'm really excited to see where I land in the lexicon. I'm always fascinated with what drives people. Usually it's like the little kid inside you. Like, where do you think that desire to entertain came from? I think escapism helps people. I really like positivity. And I think I associate escapism, movies, music, as a coping mechanism for the most unhappy and a balance mechanism for the content and a passion mechanism for the excited about those genres, sports. We have all these things in life that allow us to step away from our day-to-day challenges. And I put those things on a pedestal. And I think it's why the world does. I think there's a value to it. The more I'm thinking it through right now, because I'm going through this path with you, I also think that it's hard to keep people paying attention. And I really have something to say. And I'm motivated by it because I think my mother did it for me. I think my mom fucking nailed it. Really gave me good self-esteem, but made me accountable. Like, don't get high in your own supply, but be nice to everybody, but go for it. And it's actually very funny. When I get all the accolades, my brain translates it and gives it to my parents. Gary, you're the goat. Mom, dad, you're the goat. Gary, you're fucking genius. Mom, dad, you raised a genius. Gary, you're awesome. Mom, dad. When I get the bad stuff, I take on the accountability. I'm empathetic. I'm like, yeah, fuck, man. I feel like my style also is a mirror a little bit. You may be cautious up front before you cross your T's and I's. Because if you've gone through the process of, I've misjudged this guy, but now actually I like it. Well, that sounds like that. Other people are cynical and conspiracy theorists to the end. And so no matter what I do, it's bad. Other people are get hyped on every trend and they're going to love me immediately. Like, you know, and so everyone's a little bit different. I've always felt that my personality traits were really good indicators on the other person, which actually probably helped me go fast in liking people too. Very empathetic to every different style and can adjust to whatever style it is. You seem extremely empathetic and you have this core desire to help people. But I also can sense a street kid who can immediately pick up bullshit. So I'm curious how you learn, gather information, how you filter people. Like, how do you let people into your world when I can imagine there's this constant desire to get to you? I am a street kid. Many people have been able to get close to me that haven't ended up being awesome. It's not like I have a perfect shield. I'm incredibly optimistic and I give trust before having it earned. So a lot of people get in because I'm not cynical. And then when it's not right, I adjust. Historically, I've tried to figure out a positive way, non-confrontational way to get it clean. As I've gotten older, I've tried to be a little bit more candorous. And that's kind of where I'm at. Just to kind of follow through on that one of like, whether you're making angel investments, business deals, NFTs, just like your process of, I've heard you say this before, of understanding you bet on people, you don't bet on ideas, and you're trying to figure out if they're one of us, what does it mean to be one of us? LeBron James put in an ungodly amount of work, but let there be no confusion. His athletic ability and speed and size was something that just happened and then he built on top of it. I view myself that way. I know that's an obnoxious comparison, but I'm aware that I have a level of intuition that is not normal. I definitely sense things. It's probably the reason I believe in some foofy, foofy stuff because I'm like, well, of course there should probably be psychics and stuff of that because look at me. I kind of know things very naturally, people and things. I think it's somebody who's grounded in what I would call practical operation optimism. Let's call it poo. (laughs) Practical operational optimism, meaning 
there's a level of common sense and practicality grounded in optimism because she or he really wants it, can see it, they feel it, but it's incredibly, incredibly grounded in practicality and operations. I seem so wild, but when people look under the hood, I'm so operational. My audacity, if it's there, I see it as confidence and bravado in like V friends is out of my operational capability. I live well, it doesn't matter. The blockchain can document who has these things and I'm just going to build things in real life that are going to provide value for the people that have this thing. Kevin Rose. I mean, I'm a little mad at myself. I should have bought more proof. Like I just knew because I watched him operate as a kid at Dig. Didn't end up being as big as very close to exiting Monstrous to Google. Didn't happen. What did he do? He went fucking dominated as an investor. Just knew just new. And I'm looking for that. I'm like looking. And then I'm looking for others like Danny Cole with Creatures. I don't know if he can operate. As a matter of fact, I bet the farm that he can't. But motherfucker, he's a contemporary artist. So I'm like, who's either an artist for real or who's an operator for real? And so that's what I'm looking for in this space. And so I'm trying to use my intuition and series of questions and pattern recognition of 25 years. And I did a great job with that, which sucks. And with Ev Williams and with David Karp, with Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, really worked for me as a kid. I nailed that, but I didn't have really the economics to like go crazy. This time I had a different level of economics. I'm hopeful as an investor back to Warren Buffett. A lot of high risk. There'll be a lot of misses, but it's a space where you get four to five out of your 25 right. It can get very weird very fast. Moving to that economics point, NFTs are the first times we can create infinite assets. And what I mean by that is people don't start thinking about multi. I knew a guy whose family made like the paper and cigarettes. And so his great, great grandfather made a decision that his family lived on forever. And I feel like average people never think about this stuff. But you've talked a little bit about how smart contracts can change the future of assets and how people can make bets for a really long time. And I think it would just be great to hear what you mean by that and how you see how people can take advantage of it. An infrastructure that is globally accepted because it's a decentralized ledger that is grounded in royalty structures is fucking bananas. And I know that not everybody that sentence comes very natural to, but like, let me just say this way. The reason Michael Jackson had his compound and the reason like The weekend can buy like an $85 million home has a whole lot to do with something called royalties that us normal people could never be involved in. And so... The thought that you create an asset, whether digitally or an NFT represents a physical item that is locked up in an exchange or a warehouse, all the great art in the world is sitting, or you know, the Mercantile Exchange, and that you are the royalty collector in perpetuity of that transaction is fucking profound. Now, what we haven't felt yet is a supply and demand correction. Most NFTs in the future even if they represent something physical at a garage sale or a sports card, will go the way of sports cards, collectibles, things that you see on eBay. Most things are going to be worth a dollar or a penny because there'll be too much supply. When every person launches their NFT project on Earth, there's not going to be enough demand against the supply. I thought about in your example of tickets, like you collect ticket stubs, you talk about Michael Jordan's first game, but in the future, every one of those tickets will never have gone away. They're all there. That's correct. And also, even when all the pieces of paper went away, nobody's buying the first ticket stub of Johnny Thompson. It's a small group. But 
there was a billion people that tried to start cartoons in the 80s. There was hundreds of thousands of cartoons attempted to get on television in the 80s, hundreds of thousands. But it was Transformers and Thundercats and My Little Ponies and Strawberry Shortcakes and Care Bears and G.I. Joe that made it, which created that IP. Right now, you have unlimited entrepreneurs and artists that want people to buy their NFTs, but people won't want to buy that. Somebody said to me, Gary, 55555 for a Series 2 friends. that's a ton. I'm like, it's going to sell out in a second. It's supply and demand. I'm like, don't worry about my 55000 after 20 years of community building and execution and receipts of being right and demand. And like, there are people who are launching 10,000 units who nobody's ever heard of. They should be launching six units. If I started in 2005, I would have never put out a 10,000 project. I would probably would have put out a 50-piece project in the wine business. Each one would have let you drink wine with me because that's the only asset I had to back it up. Yeah, I think people need to understand that if they get this right, there's a lot in it for them in a way that we haven't seen before. And there's a lot of creativity to that, but there's a lot of work to that. Creating demand is incredibly challenging. And that's why most people aren't able to ever do it. So I just want to ask you one more question about kind of your future state. And I love how you talk about when people first encounter something, they just immediately assume it's bizarre. But for some reason, it triggers you. You have this example of when people thought about online dating, how crazy that was. What today seems bizarre to people that in the future, when we look back on this, it will seem obvious that you understand now? NFTs. And the reason I gave you that answer is we're in a little bubble, this little crew of us, you, me, and whoever's going to listen to this. 60% of people have never even heard the term on earth. I've not heard of the term. It's not like NFTs are popping off in the country of like Africa. Like, you know, like it's just not happening yet. You go to Sweden, it's not like off the chain. I think NFTs, to be honest with you, I really do. I don't think people understand that we're in the collectability with a hint of utility phase, but it's going to flip and it's going to be utility with a hint of collectability. I think about NFTs the way I think about Starbucks collectible mugs, the way I think of the Hess truck during the holidays from the gas station on the East Coast the way I think about cereal putting little toys inside in the 80s and 70s and 60s, it's going to be a trigger. I think high-end products and brands are going to make their receipts NFTs to execute on initiatives they have. If you're Louis Vuitton and you care about women's rights, getting an Afghani female artist to design your winter 2022 receipt is really profound. If you're giving that artist 50% of the royalties, you have a marketing campaign that positions your brand's social views. You change the life of someone. And God willing, that artist goes on to pop off. Now the customers who bought a $10,000 handbag might end up with a $10,000 art asset. Oh, by the way, when I get that receipt for free, but then I sell it for $3,000, Louis Vuitton's going to make 5%, 2%, 3%. This is going to change the fucking world. And that's just one mundane example I pulled out of my ass. It's going to be a utility at scale. You want a better one, Eric? I believe you and me included and everyone listening, we're all underestimating it right this second. It's that big of a technology change. For me, I know that when I start to sit down with people who I know are really curious and I explain it, it almost turns entrepreneurs into everyone. And that's how I know there's something. Back when the internet started, like, could I do this? Could I do that? What about this? That's when you know like there's something special that if you let that power into the world, there'll be a lot of people that harness it and create it. 
I know we're at time. And so I just want to ask you, we ask every kind of closing question. What are you most excited to build or see built over the next six months? And what are you excited to see over the next six years? Over the next six months, I just really want to execute Series 2 and VCon really well. These are very important early days for this intellectual property in this project. So I would say just really to the best of my ability, Ethereum is not built for mass demand that is greatly above the price you've set. I made a real mistake a couple months ago when I decided to say that I would make Series 200 under $1,000 because that is not the demand price. And I watched a Metallic video the other day. I was like, fuck. And he basically spoke to like, Ethereum is not built for that scenario. If the market thinks it's worth one ETH and it's and I'm selling for 1.5, I've put the miners in a very good position and I've put a lot of people in it. And so like I've been spending a lot of time on the smart contract and like my thoughts, because I'm only a couple of days away and what's going on with Kevin and what went on with my brother AJ with VaynerPat. Like it's a hornet's nest and it's gonna sell in one half second. Now, luckily for me, 82% of all the NFTs have already gone to the OG community. So there's at least that saving grace. And then VCon. I mean, putting on a conference of this size is fucking banana shit. And so just executing that is very top of mind six months. Six years, I would like VFriends to start feeling to some the way that Rugrats, Beavis and Butthead, South Park, the Smurfs, I'm going to keep Disney starting to be like, wait a minute. I can't wait for you and I to get to know each other better. And in six years, you email me and say, bro, do you remember when you were on the podcast way back when? I just saw a kid wearing a patient panda backpack to school. I think it's going to be a lot faster than six years. Let me tell you this. You know, I preach, as you know, patience. It seems you've done some good homework here. I'm not in a rush. I'm really not. I'm going to be very thoughtful. You worry about oversaturation. You got to get cadence down. You got to be thoughtful. But I'm definitely over the next six years whether it's a video game, whether it's cartoons, whether it's cereal, whether it's toothpaste, whether it's apparel. I want to build out an incredible company that disproportionately brings value to the original NFT holders. And I view Series 1 as that real OG thing. That will always be my Alpha Omega. But I do think Series 2 is where I kind of am converting them into the visual that they're going to be. That's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Gary, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, brother. To find more episodes of Breakdowns or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com. 